to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) Happy New Year, everyone. We're coming to you from the past, aren't we, Dean? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Normally we record these episodes, I don't know, a few days before they need to be released. But Dean and I are going to New York City very soon for 10 nights and we will be on our last day of our holiday. When there is this every episode... chance that they may be listening to two dead people. Well, <laughs> it's true. I mean. If I die, I want all my stuff to go to a dog shelter. I don't think they can do much with my makeup and my clothes, but regardless, I would like all my stuff to you go to the You better start groveling then because it's all coming to me. It's not going to you, Dean. <laughs> what are you going to do with my wardrobe? By and my default, makeup? it's coming to me. <laughs> what if you die as well? Uh, well, if I die, then I agree. It can go to the dogs. Okay. That's very All around the globe. Okay. Mm. Uh, so we are here in Mexico City. We have been here since December 7, and we're here for three months total, except for the 10 days in New York City. And we are recording this a few days before Christmas so that it's ready to go when we're on, holi- well, mm. when we're on holidays. Yes. Okay, can't even talk. And when you are all ready to listen to the fantastic advice we were about to give you. Yeah, we thought we would go with goal setting today because uh, people set goals all the time. But if there's any time of the year that people are setting goals, it's early January. So we thought we would take you through... <sighs> It was, it was a bit difficult, actually, to put the notes together for this podcast. We're going to take you through five elements of goal setting today. I actually have like 15 to 20 elements written down. But when I started writing notes and bullet points of like, you know, what exactly should we talk about within these studies or within this topic, there was just so much. So we're going to stick with five and probably do a goal setting part two mm-hmm. uh, for the next episode. Hopefully um, that comes at the time when people are thinking like, oh... I don't know if I'm going to be able to sustain these behaviors or yeah. if they miss this one. You know? Well, they start tripping up or yeah. something like that. Um, because you know, I think January 1, or just call it January, is like everyone's Monday. You know, everyone's like, oh, I'll start yeah. again Monday. <laughs> I think everyone's been waiting through September, November, December. I'll, I'll start in January. New year, new me. <laughs> new year, new me. Which isn't exactly ideal, but we know people do it. So we thought this episode um, could go some way in helping you increase your chances to success when it comes to goal achievement. Because there's an argument for both, I think, isn't there? Like, why wait till Monday is one question. Yeah. But then there's also the recognition that in this time of year, there are a lot of events on. So are you setting yourself up for failure, trying to start these New Year's resolutions pre-New Year's? Yeah. I hear you. I think that's quite a dichotomous way of thinking, though. Like oh, I'll start healthy behaviors January 1 and like YOLO now. Whereas I know you know, Dean, that there's obviously a lot of gray area between the two. Mm. We can like have a couple drinks at Christmas, but we don't have to get white girl wasted. Or even like we spoke about last time, you can put your goals on hold in regards to fat loss. And maintain. But still sustain good behaviors or engage in new behaviors. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, doesn't, doesn't mean that just because your behaviors aren't necessarily equating to a specific objective weight goal or fitness goal in the next one to two weeks or the next month even while here yeah. in January doesn't mean that your behavior is still going to align accordingly. It just means you're probably eating a little bit more food and doing a tiny bit less exercise. Yeah, like you still might be going for morning walks, training three times a week. You're just not getting 15,000 steps a day and making sure you definitely train, I don't know, five, six mm. days a week. I actually thought sure. that's why we decided to do this one before New York because, I mean, 
what else are we to do in Christmas in New York time other than just eat bagels, cream cheese, Southern fried chicken. And we didn't want to put our faces chubby on the screen and be called out <laughs> as hypocrites. Yeah, absolutely. I actually am not excited at all about the food in New York. I mean, hopefully I'll be pleasantly surprised, but um, I love food. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I like food that sits somewhere in the middle of the scale between like super fine dining, you know, like really large plates with like mm. the smallest amount of food in the middle and the, the um, chef has had to use tweezers to put something on it. Mm. It's not really in my style, nor is like super American, like fried, like the whole plate is brown because everything's fried. But I'm not really into that either. Like big sloppy Joes or fried mm. chicken burgers with like cheese dripping out of it. Like that would just make me feel a bit sick. Mm. So, and that's what I think of as American food. So I'm just like not I've, that pumped about it. I've got our motto. We like tasty, but tolerable. Tasty, but tolerable. Mm. Okay. okay. I also think it's good to not be excited by food when you go to place. I think it's good to be uh, interested. Mm. But if you're always like, if, you know, if the existence of your holiday is centered around trying food, oh my God, I'm so excited. I've got to eat every food just because I'm only going to be here for a week. Mm. Then like, really, are you experiencing the, you know, the holiday in its entirety? Or are you just so food focused that that's all that matters to you? Yeah. Well, my, there's so much more than food when it comes to different places. Mm. You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interested in the various cuisines around the world. Mm. Uh, I just ate brain couple of days ago he did so you guys know um oh what's his name anthony bourdain that anthony bourdain this taco place that dean found was on anthony bourdain and normally any restaurant on that show ends up blowing up and there's like lines around the, the mm. street um so we got there and we were thinking this like hole in the wall taco place would be super busy and there was like sure a few people standing around waiting but luckily it wasn't super busy mm. old mate here Yep, I tried uh, beef cheek, beef tongue, and beef brain. That's so fucked up. The beef cheek I thought was going to be quite normal, but it seemed to have some skin on it. It was definitely not pretty looking. It kind of turned me off. Uh, I was a little bit concerned. I was going to eat the beef cheek Yeah, we got one. you the beef cheek because we always get beef cheek. And he, he just ate both of them. Oh, I, I, only like... ate, I only ate uh, ha one. Did you? Yeah, because it, it was a bit flavorless, flavorless to be honest. Oh, I looked at it and I was like, I'm not fucking eating that. It <laughs> it didn't look like um, striated muscle. It looked like, I don't know, some weird underwater red. creature. Yeah, it was gross. Look, I'm not that well tonight and thinking of it's actually making me a bit queasy. So. <laughs> Poor Dean. He's actually quite sick. Yeah, I don't know what happened today. You feeling all right? I've turned, had a, taken a turn for the worse. I actually, I know this My sounds My head is bad. on fire. I'm, I'm kind of happy that you're sick yeah. because I get sick, I don't know, at like a normal frequency. You Old say this every here, time. But you never get sick. I know. And then you you get super happy about it when I am. Well, ha- well okay. Maybe yeah. I'm a bit happy. I'm not happy. I'm it, just smiling. Your sickness makes me just feel a bit more human. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I have in the last 40 minutes, I have taken a turn. Mm. My head is on fire. Okay. But I'm cold. You're wearing a beanie. Yeah, but I'm cold. You're not I've got Pedro. A, I've got a jumper on my legs because <laughs> I'm cold and I've got goosebumps, but my head's on fire. It makes me feel a little bit more. You know, like when you feel a bit vulnerable, you just want to be wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah. Yeah, the beanie's doing that. So Aww. let's get this show on the road, you condescending. Oh. <laughs> I'll do most of the talking. How <laughs> about that? Um, but yeah, anyways. So recording this before we go to New York so we don't have to record a podcast on our holiday. If you've been following along, I hope New York was awesome. I hope you've enjoyed our stories. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Okay. Goal setting in the new year. So new me. New year, new me. There are, as I mentioned before, five elements of today's podcast. Let me give you a quick overview, a summary, and then we'll get into it. So the first element is uh, a study. 
done on 1.4 million MyFitnessPal users between 2014 and 2017. And there's five kind of takeaway points or findings that I'm going to share with you. Um, and that should help us kind of yeah, improve our chances of success. Then we're going to look at, there's actually three authors, but I only remember Eric Helms because he's like the king. Um, it's called uh, Towards a Sustainable Nutrition Paradigm in Physique Sports. So even though this is um, a study done just on bodybuilders, there's still a lot of takeaway points that you know, could be helpful for us. So we're going to talk about rigid dieting versus flexible dieting based on this study. The third element, we're going to talk about implementation intentions. What the hell is that? You'll find out very soon. Then we're going to talk about um, palatability and how that affects hunger. The nom-nom effect. <laughs> so palatability, <laughs> how delicious food is. The nom-nom effect. I like it. <laughs> you're still funny when you're sick. Mm. Um, and the fifth one, the Goldilocks rule, which mm. is probably kind of obvious by the name, but we'll see. Okay. You can cough, just hide, hide your microphone as you do. Right. Poor Dean was so sick and ready to uh, get, get this podcast done so we could go to bed that we considered not testing our microphones. It's true. But, we are, we are here. <laughs> but we're here. All right. Um, so the first one, the five takeaway points from the study of 1.4 million, my fitness pal users, uh, it tracked participants' holistic behaviours over the course of those few years based on people that actually recorded their weight in the app over that period of time. So we could actually tell um, people's weights uh, progress because if people don't actually log their weight, then success or failure can't really be determined. In this instance, success is did the person reach the goal weight that they set themselves in the beginning? Okay, so finding number one, women set far more ambitious goals than men. I don't know if I was particularly surprised, but that was the first finding. I was. Were you? I expected men to be like, I can achieve a hundred meter sprint in five seconds. Okay. Because they're idiots. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's machoistic to hey, set big goals. Set it. Okay. Okay. So uh, the reason I wasn't surprised is that um, if people more or less eat the same thing, women typically gain more weight than men mm. because they have smaller frames. So it makes sense. Therefore, they're usually carrying around more body fat than they want to. So they have more to lose. Also, I feel like standards for women are much social harsher. Pressure, yeah. yeah, I fully agree with the social pressure. I don't think men are under the same pressure to feel like they need to have a particular physique. Small Therefore, and dainty. Yeah. Their goals are literally just for their own purpose, whereas maybe a lot of the females' goals are also accounting for like the, the expectation placed upon them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is super unrealistic and unfair. It is unrealistic and unfair. Thank you for saying that, Dean. Uh, so finding number two is that on average, 18% of people reached their goal. Which doesn't sound too bad, does it? But when you frame it the other way, that's like 82% uh, of people failed. Mm. Ooh. But when we look further, we can split it between smaller goals and larger goals. 30% of people that had smaller goals actually reached it within 100 days, which is pretty cool. Whereas people with larger goals only 5% actually achieved it and it took them 500 days to do it. Said another way, 95% of people did not. Mm. So out of those two findings, women set more ambitious goals and people who set smaller goals, men, achieve them more often. Uh, we could probably take away that if you're not already a man, you probably should be. Yeah. So go ahead and do that. Um, I was going to say something so politically incorrect. Oh, but go I on. Hold off. No, 
As I say, you could just pretend to be one. But no. <laughs> that doesn't really change your biology. Um, mm -hmm. I found this stat interesting when you brought this up to me yeah. pre-podcast uh, because I was listening to a Stronger by Science podcast with Eric Trexler. Excellent podcast, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. And admittedly, I'm drawing at like what I remember, so okay. don't quote me on this. But the interesting thing was he looked at a, um, a like a review on people's New Year's Eve resolutions and their relative success rates. Uh -huh. But it was based on their perception. Okay. Whereas this is based oh, on... Oh, I just read this one. Yeah, this is yeah. based on their objective success. Is in, did they hit their weight goal based on their application? This is tracking. a number on the scales. Yeah. 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 And in the first uh, six months, 48, 45% of people perceivably said that they were still maintaining and succeeding uh -huh, at their uh -huh. goals. And I think over 100 days, it was even slightly higher. Or maybe it's inverted. It sounds more intuitive to be inverted. But it was around about basically the rule was after about 12 months, if you set New Year's resolution, uh, resolutions, 50% of people are under the uh, presumption or the expectation that they've been successful at their goals. Yeah. Which brings into question. With the only metric that they said so. They said so, yeah. yeah. So this may be more about behaviours, mm -hmm. less about actual objective results, but still positive. I, I, can I, I read the study mm -hmm. and um, people weren't setting behaviour goals. I remember that um, the most amount of goal, well, the people were setting news resolutions and it was mostly around weight loss. Mm. And the second most... Uh, yeah, it was fitness. No, it was health, Okay, yep, which right. probably has a fitness element. And people, the, the third most common goal that people had was eating. Yes. But I was thinking perhaps um, because it's so vague, people might be like, yeah, you know, I was pretty successful in health and eating. Mm. Like, what is that? That is so vague. Whereas like this is actually quantifiable. Yeah, that's why mm. I find the contrast between the two quite interesting. Uh -huh. Your perception of success versus at least in talking the objective weight off by X date yeah. perspective are vastly different. Uh -huh. uh, but part of what we always talk about is behavior change. And, you know, behavior change is just as important as the objective goal. We even said this at the very beginning of this podcast. You know, perhaps if your behaviors are good, they can start prior to New Year's. Mm -hmm. And that's still a successful outcome. Mm -hmm. It's just that the outcome, the end goal, the very specific objective goal of X weight off and X time or whatever it may be, may get delayed because of uh, New Year's um, events and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting contrast. Mm. That study also made me think like, okay, sure. People said that health was their New Year's resolution. But is that sort of weight loss for purposes of vanity masquerading as health? Mm. Like, I don't know. Well, Obviously. there again, there's a perception of if I look a particular way, it means I'm healthier. Yeah. But, I mean, you could do the potato diet and get lean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. So like, like all of this conversation, there's a lot of nuance to this, and that's why it's important to have conversations on podcasts as opposed to reading single-line posts. Yeah. Because it's very easy to say, you know, we can be successful, healthy at every size, but that requires a lot of nuance. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, for sure. The third finding in this study out of the five findings um, was that this one actually is so interesting is that success or failure is predicted with a 79% accuracy within the first seven days based on people's behavior within the first week. Um, so people who logged their food every day who weighed themselves regularly and recorded their weight and didn't exceed their daily targets within the first week were the ones within almost 80% accuracy that actually received, um, achieved their results. 
Mm. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That is cool. Mm. Set your intentions, set them small enough that they're effective. Yeah. And uh, you'll likely achieve them. That's mm. pretty fucking cool. I know. And this kind of ties in um, to the next finding, finding number four, high levels of ongoing self-monitoring was positively associated with higher success rates. So I feel like the takeaway points between finding three and four is that continuing high levels of self-monitoring. So it could be weighing yourself if that's a head fuck for you. It could be something else entirely. Um, maybe recording your daily steps, setting yourself a minimum daily step target and actually doing it. Um, Even simple things like probably minimum uh, fruit and vegetable target because we know that if hmm. people are going to fill up on those, and we'll probably talk about this later, that the, the likelihood of a, a reduction in calorie intake is probably going to occur too. Just intuitively. Yeah, yeah. Because once you fill up your plate with vegetables, like the chips just fall off the plate because there's only yeah. so much room for sure. So set meaningful goals, make them small, implement those strategies that you have immediately, yeah. sustain them for at least the first week. And really the commit are, in the first Really week. commit. And then as long as you're sustaining at least some of those babies, you're probably going to do pretty fucking well. Absolutely. Uh, come through six to 12 months down the track. Yeah. Um, and the fifth lesson is that motivation matters. So this one surprised me, actually. The people who uh, put down a motivation to fit into clothes were the most successful group, but actually reading the details of this paper it's not like people were given a blank piece of paper to say like write down why they were given tick boxes right um so you know maybe fit into clothes actually means to feel more confident in my clothes because confidence is confidence is a value of mine or mm. i don't know something like that um but i think the point that we can take away from this fifth and final point is that we need to find a motivation that's truly important to us because just doing it because, oh, I think I should lose weight or I want more likes on Instagram probably isn't going to cut it for more than a week. Mm. Yeah. Mm, for yeah. sure. It's probably worth mentioning. You know how people who set smaller goals reach them 30% of the time versus 5% for bigger goals. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a huge goal. You want to lose 20 kilos. You're not screwed. It's not like, oh, well, I'm no. probably not. Split that up. You just want to lose five kilos four times. Do it once, do it two times, do it three times, do it four times. Mm. And take a break, you know, mm. because every time you take a break, you're essentially, you can say, I've ticked that goal off, yeah. box it off to the side, set the new goal. And then that's when you also then need to question whether or not your current behaviors are still going to facilitate the new goal, mm -hmm. you know, because you may find like this, to, to, you may find that if you want to lose 20 kilos, the set of behaviors and level of restriction and restraint you have to go through to lose the first five is easy and tolerable. Sure. The next five might be a little bit less easy and a little bit less tolerable. Uh -huh. And then the next five might become a little bit less easy and a little bit less tolerable. And you might get to a point where you actually go, you know what? I don't need all of this. You know, the pros 15's and cons. Fifteen's enough. enough. What behaviors do I need to sustain this? But you've done it in those short blocks, yeah. which is always a lot easier. It's a very good point. Weight loss does get harder over time. Um, how, what's a metaphor for this? Let's say somebody is trying to get smarter. They're trying to, I don't know, educate themselves. Primary school, pretty easy. High school gets harder. An undergraduate degree, pretty difficult. A PhD, goddamn. Like mm. it just gets harder as you go because you need to do more and more. It's like building muscle at first, beginner gains. Like you just. Yeah. Well, even know. to throw another metaphor is like you need mm. to pick when you have the sufficient energy to perform at the, the level that you need to yeah. like trying to swim out of a rip mm. you know like if you just go hard from the beginning and don't stop you're fucked yeah the rip will win you know yeah. because the rip will go long and hard for a very long time so you need to pace yourself go a bit hard maybe go off to the side get out of that bit of the rip into the next bit into the next bit into the next bit make your way to shore yeah 
So, or just decide to become a fish. Like so I said. the taking a break from the rip would be like a diet break or something. Yeah. A yeah. weight maintenance yeah, phase. Stepping sideways, not backwards, just stepping sideways momentarily to give yourself the opportunity to go, that was successful. Pat on the back. Am I physically, emotionally, socially ready to do this again at an extent like an extended level of mm. restriction or restraint? Yes, no, maybe so. Engage or don't engage. I think as well, ticking off those small goals builds our own confidence in our ability to get shit done. Mm. Because when we set a really hard goal and we fail, that just corrodes our confidence. Whereas if the goal's two kilos and we did it, we're like, yes, I'm awesome. Like, sure, it was difficult, but I've just proven that I can do hard things. And that's just going to build over time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the costs just outweigh the benefits. Yeah. You know, so you don't know until you get closer to the goal of what the costs are. That's true. Okay. So part number two is Eric Helms plus the two unnamed authors. We're talking about uh, rigid control versus flexible control when it comes to nutrition. Uh, and I've just pulled some sections of the study to read to you because he's done a far better, they have done a far better job explaining what this is and why it's important than I ever could. It goes like this. Rigid dietary control behaviors include disciplined energy intake counting, only eating foods to prevent weight gain, avoiding desired energy dense food and fasting or skipping meals for weight related purposes. This approach stands in contrast to flexible dietary control, which is defined by behaviors such as eating a wide variety of food while still paying attention to one's weight, taking smaller serving sizes than desired and compensating at later meals. In that regard, a flexible approach to dieting is considered to be more adaptive and sustainable than a rigid approach. It's probably not clear just yet why rigid needs to be avoided and the benefits of flexible. So I've just pulled a little bit more from the paper uh, in regards to rigid. A solid body of research indicates that a rigid approach to dieting is associated with adverse outcomes in both males and females. For example, fasting for long periods of time, which is a rigid control behavior, has been shown to prospectively predict binge eating and related behaviors in adolescent girls and in women with uh, bulimia and binge eating disorder, which is spelt as BED, mm. is the acronym, which reads funny. Moreover, cross-sectional research examining the impact of specific rigid control behaviors, namely meal skipping, has linked this behavior with an increased frequency of binge eating in women with binge eating disorder and with depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, and quality of life impairment. So this isn't mucking around. Like this is fucking serious. Mm. Um, and people with rigid behaviors, they really have their life impacted in a negative way. And it doesn't have to be like this. Despite the fact that a lot of people may not show that. Sure. Because I... there's a lot of rigid behaviors that mm. are promoted online. As the answer to yeah, and these particular outcomes people are chasing. People applaud them and say, look, you're so disciplined. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between being disciplined and being rigid. Mm. Like you can be disciplined and flexible. 100%. You can be strict without being restricted. Yeah. I mean, uh, flexible but uh, disciplined is exactly our life. Mm. You can't afford to be rigid and disciplined or as, you know, as people perceive it to be anyway mm. and travel the amount that we do sustain the level of healthy behaviors that we do if you were like sold on only eating particular foods could you mm. imagine no brain for me you know mm, where so. did we get the name flex success from is it because mm. flexibility is so important to us um okay so now we're going to look at the benefits uh, again pulled from the paper of flexible restraint 
Okay, on the other hand, there is evidence suggests that flexible dietary approaches may be healthier to adopt than a rigid approach. For example, several cross-sectional studies of students and general populations have reported associations between flexible dietary control and positive health outcomes, including lower levels of disordered eating, body image concerns, body weight, and psychological distress. Moreover, in people with binge eating disorders, increases in flexible dietary control during the course of cognitive behavioral therapy were associated with binge eating abstinence and greater percentage weight loss. Finally, pronounce this name, Dean, Texaria et al., mm. the name of an author, found that increases in flexible control during the course of weight management intervention in women with overweight or obesity, very important, was the only variable consistent, consistently predicted, oh my God, I stuffed that one up, that consistently predicted long-term sustainable weight loss. Mm. I feel like that name of the accident might be uh, Mexican now that we know how to say Oaxaca. The, the name of the author that I can't yeah, pronounce. Takaria or something like that. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that is super important. Mm. Being flexible. Yep. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry, you're just fix the camera there. Um, was the only variable to consistently predict long-term sustainable weight loss. I think that is so huge. Mm, it's huge. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that flexibility makes life more enjoyable because it means that you can choose more or less when you eat, you can be flexible with food timing, more or less what you eat, you can be flexible with your choices. Yeah, it decreases that potential anxiety you know, of, oh my God, I can't get my meal in. Or, oh my God, I can't eat this food. Or yeah. what do I do? You know, it completely, well, not completely, that's not fair, but it drastically decreases the pressure that you can place on yourself to adhere to a particular, you know, rule as opposed to a framework. Mm. And we're not talking here about intuitive eating. We're not saying that intuitive eating kind of eating to your hunger cues eating what your body tells you we're not shit canning it we're just saying it's not the same as flexible restraint mm. um because here we're talking about a weight management approach we're still trying to manage our weight or our physique in some way just with a more flexible approach whereas intuitive eating is a weight neutral approach if you gain weight, you gain weight. So what? If you lose weight, you lose weight. So what? It's mm -hmm. more about a self-care framework. So they're very different. But the point is there is ways to manage body weight without being rigid. And there's very real and important reasons to do that. Yeah. Similarly, it doesn't mean that as a flexible, by showing flexibility, it means that you can just have flexibility and food variability, but you're so rigid in accuracy of measuring everything. You know, like my classic story we've told on this before about measuring parsley. Yeah. back in the day like that's not flexible hmm. at least not in the mindset yeah so some like we're proponents of macro tracking for most people at some stage in their life because it's important that you know if people want to manage their weight they figure out what food has what calories yeah, as and an what education macros. Tool. yeah as an education tool but some people can take it too far and take a rigid approach to this Maybe, Dean, you can like give us an example of what a rigid approach to macro tracking might look like. Oh, even something as simple as, uh, even in an instance where I've got a contest prep athlete who by default is supposed to be the most accurate dieter known to man because obviously the goal is so extreme. Not known to women? Possible. Known to humankind. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can blame my mother for that. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. um, it, you know, like if they run out of capsicum one day. Uh-huh. And they freak out about eating fucking carrot instead of capsicum or whatever yeah. it is, you know, yeah. insert vegetable. Yeah. Um, then there's, there's an inability or a huge disconnect between 
the reality of food accuracy mm -hmm. and their perception of what is necessary in order to be the best, you know, like that whole, like, I do everything to a T. Um, you know, I hit every macro to the gram. Like, this isn't a badge to it. But your I've, life sucks. I've done it. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like gamifies the approach. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that the most individuals, when we talk about flexible dieting as a means to educate, it's as a means to educate for a point in time and then eventually move you on. And I think people that have tracked, you know, accurately to the T for three and four and five years ongoingly, like, there's some potential concerns there because... Do you have no self-control outside of an application that tells you when to stop, start and finish? Yeah, yeah. And I guess macro tracking um, also doesn't support people's ability to listen to their own hunger cues. Like they stop eating when their macros are done. They stop eating when their plate is clean because they've counted the macros of that meal. And like, what do they do if they just leave some because they're full three quarters of the way through? Like they've counted yeah. their macros already. Um, so it is really important, but also we need to figure out that like it's not the only tool that we should be using yeah I, like to put this into an application it's like if someone has 200 grams of chicken on their diet and they eat 200 grams of beef uh -huh. the caloric difference is all of around about five grams of fat okay right? so 45 calories okay doing nothing that's understanding that there's flexibility allowed within a diet and still achieve your goals but you need the education in order to determine that's a like for like swap mm -hmm. close enough but if that same individual had no education went, oh, well, I really like salmon. Let's swap that for chicken. Yeah. Then now we're talking about like a 40 gram fat difference. Yeah. You know, 360 calories. It's significantly larger. Yeah. And that's where the, the understanding of what flexible dieting or flexible nutrition uh, provides you the opportunity to have a flexible, uh, less restrictive, less rigid approach right. to your diet. Yeah. And if someone... Uh that's done our macro tracking course they would know that if they ate 40 grams too much fat one day mm. um what that will do over the course of the week like if it was only one day where that happened mm. actually there's going to be no consequences at the end of the week yeah. but if somebody wants to be more accurate there are ways to compensate mm. you could eat 20 grams of fat less for the next two days yeah something like that like that's a flexible way to do it yeah yeah anyways so yes mm. for sure when you're going just before we move on to implementation intentions when because you work mainly with or only solely mm. with comp preppers how rigid do you need them to be to their macro targets every day most of my uh crew will follow a diet okay for the majority of it but it's a diet that they've chosen that's relatively uh flexible at least in food variability but then some guys will change a meal or two. Most of them are doing it honestly just for the simplicity of taking another decision away from them from, okay. from a decision for It's less to think about. You know, but mm. in regards to the accuracy, like up until a point in contest prep, I have no issue with clients going out for a lean steak that they haven't prepared because the margin for error is really, really small. It says on the menu that it's 220 grams. Yeah. Similarly, yeah. like they can go out and maybe they may have measured it once just to double check that it's within close proximity, but they might go out for, for sushi, but they may preferentially select something like a, a tuna nigiri uh, over like a, you know, salmon and avocado Yeah, that's tempered yeah, yeah. because the level of, uh, you know, the margin of error in the, the deep fried stuff is far greater. So mm. there's, there's levels of flexibility to even eating unprepared food of your own in a contest prep and still being successful. Yeah. If that social outcome provides you greater enjoyment and, uh, you know, stress relief, stress relief and the ability to adhere to the, the totality of the prep more than not doing it does. Yeah. Yeah. But sure. most of the time it's about giving clients the opportunity not telling them, hey, go out for sushi or hey, you can't have it. It's here's an opportunity. Should you wish to take it, you can. Yeah. And like I had a client just last week said, didn't really want it. Cool. You know, I wanted to stay home and, and make a bigger cream of rice. 
So he chose that path. And then that meant that the next day he didn't feel restricted or he'd, he'd missed out. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to choose his, his uh, poison, for lack of a better mm. word. Whereas I work with gen pop people. So this is general population clients, people who aren't competitive athletes. And I assume this would be similar to your athletes in their off season. Mm-hmm. There's a way larger margin for error. You're not trying to create a very specific outcome. Therefore, actions don't have to be as Absolutely. specific. Yeah. Um, in the eating out lesson in the macro tracking course, I split eating out into four different categories. One of them being things that are really easy and accurate to track all the way through to it's fucking impossible. So don't try. Mm. Let's consider Mm. free meals, which are very different to cheat meals. Let's Mm. not confuse them. So if you want to learn more about eating out, maybe check that out. Yeah, And pretty much like my clients will go through phases of that in that macro tracking course uh, in the off season, Mm. varying degrees of, you know, expected accuracy, let's say. Yeah. whether it's a protein calorie target, whether it's a free meal, where they have a calorie allotment. If they eat over, they eat over. If they don't, they don't. I don't care so long as their behaviors align with their values. Like It's all of that sort of general discussion that we have around food um, and, and managing that, that sort of holistically, I guess you could say, as opposed to very specifically about you must go out for 24 sushi rolls. Mm. You know? Okay. Summary. Don't be rigid. Mm. Full stop. In anything. <laughs> be, be flexible. Still have a framework. Have boundaries. Maybe protein and fruits slash vegetables in every main meal. What that is will chop and change. It might be chicken. It might be prawns. It might be egg whites. It might be something else. Um, but it doesn't always have to be at the same time cooked the same way, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, implementation intentions. Do you do this with your clients? Implementation intentions? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what is it? It's basically when we help a client or when you yourself set uh, intentions for how you're going to implement something. So an example of uh, a vague expression of a goal would be like, I want to exercise more. I want to get fitter. I want to improve my sleep. Yeah, I want to improve my sleep. Mm -hmm. I want to get feel better, get leaner. Like, okay, cool. I want to have a glow. (laughs) <laughs> I've never had anybody say that to me. <laughs> me neither, actually. Well, maybe I should call someone out. See if they listen to this podcast. Go on, what's Jared that? Hall, your skin's never going to glow, mate. Just give up. <laughs> Does he say he wants <laughs> no, to he's, ne- he's never. <laughs> Why are we picking on Jared Hall? Oh, because he's, he's got good banter. Okay. I know I wouldn't have hurt his feelings, you know. <laughs> he picks on me for having no back. So I'm oh. just going to say your skin's shit. You're a white boy. <laughs> And you're never going to glow. I think you glow, Jared. You're beautiful. His personality shines through. I'm not going to lie. Does Jared have a pet? He does. And he has just taken up, his pet has just taken up um, posing practice for Jared. He's now his coach. He made his first debut in his photos this morning. Oh, um, I appeared, love it when pets get in He appeared out of the bottom corner. Jared put up this photo, which he's now tagged Flex in. If you want to go check out Jared, guys, he tagged Flex today. It's like a, in a semi-relaxed... Dean, we're recording this like two weeks before it Okay, goes so like a week ago. Jared's not a big poster. You know? Okay, all right. But it's a semi-relaxed, about to hit a rear double by or rear lat spread, and he looks as wide as a house. Okay. And he looks great. A and house I'm, is white? As wide. Oh, yeah. wide as a house. You know, not a house in Europe. We're talking like a Queenslander here. Okay. Um, and uh, he put it in there. It's not a pose. And I'm like, I know you put this in here because you think you look fucking good. And you do, but don't... Pretend like I don't know what's going uh, on. Here. But thank you for the dog. I saw the dog last minute. What's so. his dog's name? Um, he did mention it. I forget. Oh, for the competitive athletes, we have a Discord group and I created a channel in there called Flex Pets. Mm. And it's where everybody puts up photos of their pets. And I just love I love the chat for, for that section. So anyway, yeah. wanting to glow, not a suitable goal. I'd rather just talk about pets for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I may die by the time we make it there. 
<laughs> Are you feeling okay? I'm pretty rubbish. Okay. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll move on with it. So uh, if someone, someone says, I want to, I don't know, improve my sleep, eat better, like what does that really mean? It's really hard to say, were you successful, were you not? Which is maybe why 50% of people by the end of the year were like, yeah, I think I did pretty well. Mm. Like what, what metrics are you going off exactly? Like mm. you can't really determine success or failure. Um, implementation intentions mean you get more specific. So if it's, I want to exercise more, we'll um, look at the when, the what, and the where, and you're more likely. So when, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, before I come home from work, I'm going to exercise. Uh, what? I'm going to do the program that my trainer wrote for me. I don't know, whatever you have in mind. Um, or I'm going to do 12 working sets per session. Mm -hmm. And then the where. It could be at the gym or at the park. Or if it's raining, I'll go to the gym. Otherwise, I'll do it at the park. Whatever. Um, another example is I want to eat better. When? I'm going to eat three meals a day before work, one at work, one after work. For example, what? I'm going to have at least 30 grams of protein in each main meal. And it's going to have two fist size of fruits slash vegetables in it. Mm. That's very specific. We're saying what we're doing, when we're doing it, even where we're doing it. And it's giving you the opportunity to check in on your relative success. Mm. As opposed to, yeah, did I eat well last week? I think so. Yeah, sure. Very easy to forget the snacks. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, I'll do things like this, especially like with bodybuilders uh, or even athletes, I think in general, sleep is probably the worst one they're always getting after it they're always worried about their nutrition and the big rocks they forget about sleep you always sleep you just don't necessarily always sleep well it's the one that kind of gets pushed to the side people like to feel like they grind too so i feel yeah. like yeah so but because it because it is the one that you have to do and you do by default of being tired a lot of people you know don't align they, they report the, having shit yeah sleep. They, they report mm. and they do nothing about it so okay that's, a, that's my biggest one so how would you help someone set implementation intentions for sleep Oh, this would be something as simple as like asking them about what their behaviors are like at the back end of the night. And, you know, their, their what might be like, I'm going to turn off screens by 9.30 p.m. Okay. You know, I want to have a shower at 10 p.m. And I want to be in bed by 10.30, you know, like setting some specific things around there. Okay. Um, what else are we missing there on that? Like what other Oh, like that, that would be a when. Yeah. Like I'm going to wind down by this time to be in bed by this time. Um, you know, the what is sleep. So that's a yeah. bit difficult, but it could be like, you know, the what there might be like a, a wind down process for them though. Or it know? could be like where in my sleep cave. Mm. So like, do you have curtains that block out all the street lights? Is it quiet? You know, have, is, it's might not, it shouldn't be too warm. Yeah. Not on the couch yeah. by accident. Not in front it's of the, the TV. Yeah. 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 So mm. you could yeah get specific like yeah. that for sure. Um, and so anyways, in the show notes, we're going to link all of these studies. And there's this really interesting video that summarizes implementation intentions. I will also link in there. And as you'll see, if you follow the breadcrumbs, um, this video talks about flyers that were handed out to voters and which one actually increased voting by how many points. People who were asked, will you vote? And who said yes. And very few of them actually did it. This was American Obviously, they're not, um, it's not mandatory yeah. to vote. People who actually were asked, um, when are you going to vote? Where are you going to vote? And what will you be doing before you vote? Increased voting points by nine points, which was Ooh. by far the most um, out of each category there. So that just shows that when people have a kind of like a plan of how they're going to get there, what they'll be doing before, they're more likely to actually follow through with it. Mm -hmm. 
palatability. So now we're going to talk about the fourth element out of five. So nearly there. Dean, you're hanging in there? I'm good. Okay, good. The camera will definitely turn off again. We'll turn it back on, but it's okay. But we're doing this late at night. It's um, a few big days leading up to the holiday. And um, the lighting's really shitty because it's nighttime and we've got Dean's camera phone um, torch. You can't have sweet fucking setups as a traveling. Oh. Uh, you know, we live out of one suitcase each, like everything that we own. So, hmm. yeah. Um, so like staring into the sun, it's really hard for me to read my notes because I'm looking at your torch. Hmm. Also, I could like maybe pick your nose or something. <laughs> With the shadow? <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about palatability and meaning how delicious food is. And how, when we get this right, it's so much easier to actually achieve a goal. Mm. Um, now, one of the studies, it's called Hunger and Palatability. It was tracking rates of subjective experience before, during, and after consumption of preferred or hyperpalatable and less preferred or less palatable food. Um, and it's actually a very interesting study, but just to summarize it super quickly, when people were shown food that they highly preferred, call it pizza, ice cream, really palatable foods, um, they had a much higher desire to eat. And this desire to eat continued while they were actually eating. So while people were eating less desirable food, when they were eating, they didn't have a particularly high desire to eat. So it was easy for them to stop. And then when we look at rates of hunger after they've eaten, the people that ate very delicious food versus not very delicious food actually didn't show a difference in hunger one hour after the meal. But when we look at two hours after the meal, the people who ate preferred food or very delicious or hyperpalatable food were significantly hungrier and had higher desires to eat than people who ate less delicious food. Now, I don't find this particularly surprising because if I'm eating like plain boiled white potato, I don't really have a particularly high desire to eat. It's probably not going to trigger more cravings after the meal because it wasn't that great. If I'm eating pizza, I want to eat more of it. I want to eat it again sooner. I can eat pizza until I can no longer eat pizza. <laughs> you love pizza. You know? Yeah. Um, I can't eat plain potato forever. No. That's what I just had for dinner with uh, pan-fried chicken snooty. Yeah. And this is individually specific to each individual. There are some you know, generic representations of what are classified, at least from a, a population average of what would be considered hyper palatable and low palatability. Mixed macros. Like you said, you know, yeah. like a white potato that's boiled, low palatability, something that's mixed macros, salty, sweet, carby and fatty pizza, yeah. high palatability. It's pretty intuitive, I think. Yeah. Um, there are still individual variations there. Like there's certain things that you may find absolutely delicious oh i could eat a whole loaf of bread by itself yeah. that's like just carbs it's yeah but not... i mean if you couldn't you're yeah. a monster yeah, bread's pretty damn good like good bread mm. good bread yeah it's so you've, mm. you've got to take stock in in having a period of mindfulness when you eat your foods and try and figure out like oh shit actually every time that i know that i eat this every time i finish the meal i'm still insatiably hungry yeah you know whereas when i eat this i'm like only finishing it because it's on my plate yeah, for sure. So this isn't to say, like, if we think of food on a scale of, like, really yuck and really delicious, like dirt and pizza, we shouldn't be at either end of the spectrum. Not that we should never eat dirt. Okay, dirt was a bad example. Boiled white potatoes. Not that we should never just eat that and we should never eat pizza. But most of the time we want to be finding food that it's tasty, it's fine, but it doesn't turn us into Pac-Man where mm. we want to eat everything around us. Because if we're eating just boiled white potatoes, the food is going to be so boring that you're going to just reach for really delicious food because you just you just don't not really into it and food is pleasurable and 
I mean, I guess yeah, we're more than pleasure-seeking machines. Say, it's not just that, and it's also just not a nutrient provider. Yeah. You know, you got to try and find the happy Food medium. is more than fuel, mm. for sure. Um, now, how this ties into goals and appetite is this. We're talking about the hedonic staircase of dieting now. If Dean just ate to his hunger cues, he probably would stay ridiculously lean or lose weight because he's not a particularly hungry guy. Whereas if I just ate based on how I felt, I would definitely be at significantly higher body fat levels mm. than I am. So it would make sense that Dean eats more delicious food so that he maintains a healthy level of body fat or a higher body weight. For me, it makes sense that I eat less delicious food. Um, so I'm not stimulating an already very healthy appetite. Mm. It's easier for me to eat less. So I wouldn't definitely not suggesting that you should always eat low palatable foods or always high palatable foods. It depends on your appetite. Now, if Dean was trying to lose weight, what would you be doing? The opposite. Mm. So low palatability foods. Because it's or palatable enough, yeah. Mm. Palatable enough that I can enjoy it, but not so much that I'm reaching for. Yeah. And if you're trying to gain weight? The opposite again. Like I'm going for hyper palatable foods because it's easier to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do have a relatively low appetite. Mm -hmm. You know. Comparative yeah. to, to some individuals. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we should quickly, before we move on to the Goldilocks rule, the very last point, we could talk about palate fatigue. Mm. Like in a gain phase? If the goal is a gain phase? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. Like if, if you want to eat an abundance of calories, it's typically going to be advantageous for you to take a, what we'd classify as a multi-sensory approach to your meals. If you were to eat the same flavors and the same textures repetitively over and over and over again, while trying to also consume a large intake of calories, there's going to be a point in time where your palate becomes fatigued for lack, you know, hence the, the, the terminology, where it's just like, oh, I have no drive to eat. There's no sensory feedback going to that brain to then say, hey, release those hunger hormones and make me, eat, you know. Um, mm. So in those instances, you need to kind of try to like short circuit the brain's hard wires in order to, to for lack of a better term, trick it into thinking that you're not satisfied. And the way you would do that would be like having maybe like a, a savory meal finished with something uh, sweet. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows the dessert stomach. Uh, we see this quite regularly. If you give somebody the opportunity to eat like an ice cream after a, a savory meal, they can eat an abundance more calories, even though they may be full. Yeah, or even different textures, like a textures yogurt with something crunchy on top. Yeah. Muesli, I don't know, toasted nuts, something yeah. like that. My go-to always, like when I'm talking about, like, because I have a lot of guys that have to eat a ton of food, you know, like yeah. I have one guy at the moment who's on 7,800 calories. Uh -huh. And it's build a meal that's pretty much like rice, vegetables, fruit, meat, some sauce to get some easy calories. And then when he finishes that meal, which is usually going to be somewhat savory, have two muesli bars. Okay. Because the muesli bars are insignificant in volume, but they're a new flavor, they're a new texture, and they kind of just go down. And they're very calorie dense. Yeah. So they're just easy additions. And, mm. and that's how we, we play the palate fatigue game for someone like that. Yeah. And then we could take this example for somebody like me with a high appetite, but very, well, not very low calories, you know, relatively low calories to maintain my body weight. I don't want to be switching between savory and sweet or having different textures in my meals. Mm. I want it to be good enough, but not so exciting that, that it triggers. Yeah. Me. Like if I make a core that has banana with peanut butter and dark chocolate. Uh -huh. If I eat a spoonful of the dark chocolate core and then the sweet banana with the peanut butter and then go back and forth, I can do that all night long. Mm. But if I just stick to one side, I typically go, I don't really feel like the other side. But then when I have that side, I'm like, oh, I can eat this. 
So like I do that sometimes when I'm full at night and I need to get some food in, I, I double up on the senses. Okay. Uh, but if I was uh, in prep, I never, ever put double flavor. I only ever did fruit, whey protein, one fat, mm -hmm. because I knew then I could just be like, all right, that was enjoyable. I don't mm -hmm. need more. Less exciting. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely worth considering because I think when people decide, okay, I'm going to start losing weight now, they just go immediately to salads and all other food is out. And then when people are, you know, off a diet, then it's all delicious food. And then we end up in this cycle of weight loss, weight regain, weight loss, you know, yo-yo dieting. Um, whereas it's more like we should be turning the dial a little bit up, a little bit down, depending on what you're trying to do, but always staying in a pretty sensible middle ground when it comes to deliciousness which I think is a better word than hyperpalatable. It's, it's a mouthful for me. Okay, fifth and final section, we're talking about the Goldilocks rule. Um, this essentially means we, we're all familiar with the, the tale of Goldilocks. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. This porridge is just right. Mm. When it comes to goal achievement, um, some people sort of easily get really hard things done without too much work. Whereas yeah. other people really struggle to get to the gym three days a week, really struggle to do their food prep. So it's about making things challenging because, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. We need to make some changes to make progress, but not so challenging that you can't do it and you lose your confidence in your ability to actually get yeah. things done and be successful. So it's not to say that, okay, you've set a goal. Everyone must food prep. Everyone must go to the gym at three days a week minimum. It's like, what is challenging for you? And then as that starts to become easier, set a new challenge, push the goalposts a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, don't pick something just in front of you, but also don't pick something that's beyond the horizon. Hmm. You know, like Choose something that's within reach. Yeah. Like right now, we're in Mexico. We've just come from Valencia. We're trying to learn Spanish if someone's an absolute beginner to Spanish, they need to learn with, start with learning the alphabet, then learning hello. This is how you say apple. This is how you say eyebrow. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would learn how to say eyebrow as a beginner. But the point is, if somebody is coming in with more ability, they already understand the alphabet. They already understand how to say various words. They might start learning phrases, but I'm not going to start learning phrases straight away, mm. right? Like we need to begin with... Because yeah, they make no sense. They make no sense. Like... Mm figure out where you're at what is the next step in front of you mm. yeah like in, in spanish it's taco of fish not fish taco if you read it from left to right <laughs> so what's you fish know? again um pescado yeah pescado de taco yeah. would be yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah learn the grammar yeah. tell us some spanish words you've learned Dean. oh no I'm, I'm on my limit how do you say apple um uh, manzana yay yeah, yeah. you're how testing do you say my brain pineapple piña how do you say leg? I have no idea. You do? No. On the sandwich? Nope. Oh, piano. Piano. Oh, of course. We learn how to say the leg of hand. How do you say cheese? Queso. Yay. Look, he's so fluent. Oh, I'm broken. <laughs> okay, okay. I see you're getting very sick. So we'll wrap it up with a less shit tip. Mm -hmm. You want to do it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> or would you like? Don't do whatever I did. I don't even know what I did to get like this. Do you... Maybe we shouldn't sit next to each other. I don't want to get sick. You look ruined. You should finish the podcast. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I think the less shit tip is actually think about um, the plan to get to your goal because a lot of people set goals and fail because they don't really think about the steps that they need to do to achieve it. Um, and so to pull some things from the study, it might be 
is your goal small enough at the moment that it's actually achievable? Uh, are you actually uh, committing to self-monitoring behaviours? Are you having a flexible approach to your nutrition, not a rigid approach? Is your food... Too palatable. Too palatable, not palatable enough, yeah? And the Goldilocks rule. Are you setting yourself a challenge that's actually achievable? Um, so that would be my last tip. Something worth sharing? Have you got something? Um, oh, we've been talking about flexibility and rigid restraint and all the rest of it, and that is probably like um, taking a moment to try and figure out what food groups are somewhat like for like. Okay. Like we do this in our foundation approach that we teach our clients, not so much myself as much as, as you guys, but um, that would be, you know, understanding that all vegetables are interchangeable, uh-huh. gram for gram. You Why? Know? Because the caloric difference between them is insignificant in regards uh-huh. to physique goals, you know? Yeah. Uh, understanding that, yeah, like white fish, um, chicken, egg whites. Prawns. Low fat. Turkey. Yogurt. They're all pretty interchangeable. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, so think about foods in groups of uh, like for like so that you can have flexibility without also having to then be like super um, rigid in tracking. Okay. You know, you can look at serving sizes and food types. I like that something worth sharing because um, I know that people who macro track, one of the biggest qualms is, fuck, it takes so long. Mm. I make a stir fry and there's six different types of veggies and that means I need to weigh each one individually and I need to have six different entries just for the vegetables. You don't. You're putting in non-cruciferous <laughs> vegetables, non-starch vegetables or whatever it may be. Actually, in the bonus section of module three for the macro tracking course, I know I've brought it up a few times, but it's a very good resource. Um, I have a PDF called food groups because Dean, you were just talking mm. about food groups and essentially it breaks protein down into three different groups. And it's like, these are all the proteins that have similar calories and macros. These are all the um, vegetables that have similar, ca- the starches, mm. the carbs, the fats. So if you wanted to, you could just go into my fitness pal and just write, I don't know, group one vegetables or something. Mm. And then you could just have one entry in your MFP for like all the veggies in your stir fry, for example. So you're just cutting down time spent tracking. Yeah, I think one of the greatest pushbacks to going on a diet is this expectation that you have to follow a rigid diet all the time. Yeah. Whereas this is literally like, you know, you can wake up and you're going to have a protein serve for breakfast and a fat serve, for example. Do you want bacon and eggs, like lean bacon and eggs, whole eggs? Or do you want maybe fatty bacon and not whole eggs? And just whites. You know, Yeah. yeah. Or do you want a bagel, you know, or bread? Or do you want it? Like it gives you the opportunity to pick out of these food groups and actually have the most flexibility you could ever possibly need. Yeah. And it's still being well within reason of your caloric needs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Plus it drives home the importance of micronutrients, which we are big advocates for. We are. That's something I think macro tracking doesn't do for a lot of people when they don't do it properly because macro tracking, you're just tracking macros. But when you actually have a coach to guide you through how to do it properly, to keep an eye on weight management and health, Mm. it's like within your macros, there should be, this is a minimum, this amount of fruit and veg, this many serves of good quality fats. Um, So there's, there's bad, better and good ways to do it for sure. Um, Okay. So Dean, let's wrap it up with a would you rather, hey, and then you can go die in bed. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm just going to answer this quickly. Well, maybe I throw a different one at you. <laughs> throw me a different one. Would you rather make weird sex noises or weird sex faces? Um, I would rather uh, make weird sex faces. Okay. Um, because if you're my partner, which you are, you can probably tolerate the faces. Uh, we can turn the lights off and shit, you know. And but I only also have to look you in the face when I know that my scrunched up face is doggy only, there, right? Yeah. 
Um, or maybe I deliberately do weird faces. <laughs> um, but if I was making weird noises, that would mean that like every time we're at my parents' house or a friend's house or friends are over and I have to hear like, we don't have sex me in front go, of like, people. Me like way. go, like, 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 you know. Is that your weird sex name? Maybe, you know. Um, maybe I'm Alex Connors and I purr in my sleep. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> no. He had, he Can had, we rip on all flex yeah. clients on this podcast? No, he had a moment of snoring and it sounded a bit like he purred. Um, <laughs> Alex. Uh, I don't mind throwing him under the bus. But, so um, good. I love Alex. So yeah, it, uh, I'd probably go for the the faces, knowing that it's weird only sex you faces. Mm. All right, cool. So if uh, you guys want to help us out and share this podcast on social media, tag us in it and tell us: Would you rather weird faces or weird noises? Mm. Maybe the people that haven't listened to this podcast yet would be like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" But we'll know, and that's all that matters. Yeah. And uh, without further ado, I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas yeah, and a happy Christmas. new year and that these new goals, new year, new me, are aligning with all the things we've spoken about today. And if they're not, change them up. <laughs> oh, it's never too late to make improvements. Mm. Never too late. Yeah, so. um, and there's actually a lot more to know about ways to increase success when it comes to goal achievement. So we will do a part two. Mm. Um, we will talk more about anecdote, about our experience, our experience with clients and less about what the literature says. Um, but yeah, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks everyone. Yep. Yeah.